Hi, this is Bill Hoppy, Buffalo Sabres beat reporter, and I'm joined by Nick Sabato, Buffalo Bills beat reporter, Niagara Gazette sports editor, and welcome to episode 11 of Buffalo Press Box. Nick, we have a, a whole lot to discuss. The Bills lost 24-22 to the Denver Broncos on Monday Night Football, a loss that seemed unfathomable not that long ago. They've lost 4-6, they're reeling, and the big news of the week is that Ken Dorsey on Tuesday morning got fired as offensive coordinator. You saw this coming. Uh, just explain the, uh, kind of the timeline of this and how it all went down and why it went down, I guess. Well, I, I think um, you, you, you could feel it coming if they were going to lose. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously they lost. And, you know, again, the offense was dismal for most of the game, four turnovers. Um, and then you could kind of feel it a little bit uh, in Sean McDermott's post-game press conference where he said Dorsey needed to be better. or uh, He said we, but uh, he's, mm-hmm. Dorsey needed to be better. Um, and he had been making some comments for a couple of weeks now. And I, I think probably on the whole it needed to happen. Um, it was just kind of a, a stale offense. Um, not much pre-snap motion. Um, a lot of the same sets, not, not much action to try and get Stefan Diggs one-on-one or Gabe Davis one-on-one. Um, you know, it, it, it was an offense designed to beat whatever defense they were playing every week rather than having a foundational philosophy of this is what we do and we're going to do this core group of things every week and you need to stop that no matter what you do on defense. I mean, to an extent, you have to play – you know, you, you have to prepare for a defense and do things to beat a certain defense. But that's kind of all they were doing. They were just kind of running plays. There was no, I'm going to run play A to get to play B to get to play C. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, very very little of that kind of stuff. There was not a ton of, I'm going to, you know, run the ball um, maybe in the first quarter and then come back to it with some of the same action on a play-action pass later in the game. There just wasn't a ton of that stuff with with Dorsey. Um, It was pretty shotgun-heavy as well. Um, Even though Josh Allen has has, um, kind of proven he's a pretty good play-action passer, at one point, you know, before their skid, he was the best. He had the most play-action passing yards in the league, even though the amount of play-action passes, I think, was at, like, the lowest in his career at the time. Um, So... That's kind of where where it was, and um, but I think you also need to be honest that if they win, if Denver, if there's not twelve men on the field for that last field goal, of course, he, Ken Dorsey's still the offensive coordinator. It's hard to fire somebody after a win. Correct. And but there was there was twelve men on the field, and and here we are. Joe Brady is the new offensive coordinator. So. Clearly, I mean, firing Ken Dorsey, who was really Josh Allen's guy, I mean, that's a strong, strong message to him to get it together. Yes, I, I think it's 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 a very strong message. And, I, you know, there's a notion out there that Dorsey is Allen's handpicked guy. And, yeah, that's who he wanted, but I think that was the logical hire, right, at, at the time. I mean, he was with McDermott in Carolina for, for a few years. Um, he's the quarterback's coach. He knew the offense they were in. He knew Josh Allen. I mean, that was that was a logical logical move to make at the time. And I still think, you know, 
Ken Dorsey is pretty pretty universally loved in that locker room. Mm-hmm. You know, he's a nice man, and he's a a very smart football mind. I think maybe it was just maybe the wrong the wrong place, wrong time for him as a coordinator. I think if he were to kind of stick out his his coaching career, and I think he probably will. Um, you know, he's probably going to have to go back to being a quarterbacks coach for a little bit, unless maybe he tries college or something like that. But if he can if he can hang in there as a quarterbacks coach in the right place, I think he gets another another shot at being an offensive coordinator, and it wouldn't surprise me at all if he's good the second time around. So, you know, we talked, and for a lot of people, this rut the Bills' offense are in is is in. Uh, might go back to after the Miami game, after they blew out the Dolphins, and it looked like they were on their way to another terrific season. But, I mean, if you peel it back, I mean, you said this goes back a lot longer than just uh, a, a couple months. I mean, McDermott said after the Broncos game that it, inconsistency from the start of the season, but you can you can take it back as far as, let's say, um, the seventh game of the season last year against the Packers, mm-hmm. um, where they started out gangbusters and then things kind of went sideways in the second half. They st- and it was kind of ignored because they won, mm-hmm. um, you know, pretty handily that night. And then obviously the next week Allen gets hurt, and then you don't know is this the offense? Is it Allen's elbow? What what's the cause here? Um, but I, I think you might even be able to go back to Brian Dayball a little bit. Um, in 2021 where Allen threw 15 picks. Um, there were games that season where they were inconsistent. I mean, there were, there were some games there. Um, I go back to Thanksgiving, 2020, uh, 2021 against the saints where I think Allen was intercepted in the red zone for the first time in his career. And he had two picks that night and they won, I think by like 25, I think it was like 31 to six, but you kind of leave saying they didn't play that well. Um, offensively. So, you know, maybe maybe it goes back that far. And some of that is Josh Allen. Um, he needs to make some better decisions. Um, you know, when you look at some of the passes he's forced, yeah, some of that is our guys not being open. Um, some of that is um, scheme. Um, but... Ken Dorsey isn't. It's not Madden. He's not. He's not pressing the X button or the square <laughs> button uh, to make Allen throw the ball. And you you look at you know the first interception against the Broncos that goes through Gabe Davis's hands. That's on Gabe Davis. The second one right before halftime, McDermott used up his timeouts um, to get a field goal so that they could get points before halftime. And he comes out and throws a pick on the first play and a ball he shouldn't have thrown. Um, there's, there's really, I mean, maybe like a 1% chance that he was going to complete that pass. Mm-hmm. Um, and he had James cook underneath for five yards. Maybe, you know, it was, you either got to throw some of those away. You gotta, you gotta, um, go to the check down guy. You got to run whatever it is. Um, you just can't be throwing all these passes into, into tight coverage like that. Um, so some of that, some of that is on, on, on Allen to, you know, say he needs to he needs to be better in that regard and protect the football. And you look at some of the stuff. I mean, he's had forty interceptions since uh, the start of twenty twenty one. Nineteen of them have resulted in points for the other team. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So, I mean, you're, you're giving up points there on, on almost half of your interceptions. And, I, you know, 15 or 16 of those came in plus territory where you're driving for another touchdown. Um, so it's, it's a big swing there, and they need to get a little bit better in that regard. And Josh Allen, I mean, you were there the other day. Josh Allen took the dismissal hard, didn't he? He did. And it, 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 was, it was genuine um, because Ken Dorsey, as much credit as Brian Dable gets, and deservedly so, and as much credit as Josh Allen gives Brian Dable, um, Ken Dorsey has had as big of a hand, if not the biggest hand in his development, as any coach that he's had in the NFL. Um, it's a guy who he's been with since 2019. He's worked with every day. Um, and, and I think Josh gave him some credit for that in that press conference. Um, and it's easy to forget that because he's a quarterback's coach, and sometimes that is um, that that that's kind of a, a, a forgotten. You know, the offensive coordinator mm-hmm. gets the credit for that, um, and then obviously he's the offensive coordinator, and a lot of fans aren't happy with his performance. So the, you know what he's done in the past kind of gets forgotten or, or overlooked. So Joe Brady, he's young. He had success with Joe Burrow at LSU. He was in the NFL with the Panthers prior to the Bills. W- what do we know about him? He's not uh, – obviously, you can't change an offense. Uh, you can't overhaul an offense and install your vision for it midseason. Uh, he's going to have to, you know, basically use Ken Dorsey's offense. But what what do we know about him? What do we know about his philosophies and so forth? Well, he can, comes from – I think he, his, his offense in Carolina is pretty heavily influenced from – uh, some of his time in New Orleans with Sean Sean Payton. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't. I mean, he's not really going to have some. You know, he used fullbacks a lot, and I, I don't think you know. There's not time to get all kinds of new stuff in, like you said. Um, but um, what he's essentially going to have to do is figure out what's working because there's stuff that works. I mean, it's a top ten offense in the NFL still. Yeah, that gets lost in this. That they've they've done some pretty good things. I mean, since Ken Dorsey has started, it's a top five, top three offense in mm-hmm. the NFL. Um, so you kind of they kind of have to figure out what works, um, what has, and, and you kind of stick with that. I think because there there have been players who have said that the playbook is too big, too complicated. Like uh, Naeem Hines said, is one of the most, com- most complicated playbooks in the NFL, like significantly more complicated than the one he had in Indianapolis. Um, some of the rookies were kind of wowed by it. Like Khalil Shakir talked about how expansive the playbook was. Um, they when they signed Leonard Fournette, they talked you know he might need like two to four weeks or something like that to get ready to learn the playbook. That's crazy. Mm. Um, <laughs> so maybe pare some of that down a little bit and find and just roll with what's been working. Um, maybe tweak some stuff that hasn't so that it does work. Because um, there there are tweaks that you can make. You know, I, I think the, just the most important part of it is they need to be an offense that attacks a defense rather than tries to dissect a defense in terms of saying, this is what we do. You need to stop us. I mean, on occasion, you just you have to do that. You have to be on the offensive. It's why you're an offense. Um, so, so be on the attack rather than be reactionary. Um, and... You know, uh, I, I talked to Ryan Bates today, who was uh, his first two years at Penn State. Joe Brady was a graduate assistant, and he talked about how 
even then, you know, graduate assistants don't get uh, a ton of responsibility they get credit for. Um, but, you know, he played a big hand in, you know, coming up with some of the game plans in terms of just the minute details that a graduate assistant would do, you know, mm-hmm. you know, dissecting blitz packages, stuff like that. And Bates just talked about how detail-oriented he was. So I, I think maybe that's an encouraging thing. Um, his offense in Carolina was a little simplistic. Uh, but, you know, he was a young guy, early 30. He's still only 34. Uh, his really only his – that was his really – the first time he's ever been an offensive coordinator. He was the passing game coordinator at LSU and wasn't a full-time play caller. So, I mean, that's a, that's a big – big learning curve for somebody um but man he he sounds the part um when you hear him when you hear him talk you think man that guy's gonna be a head coach but it's it's now it's time to figure out if he can he can turn the bills offense around so when you fire a coordinator mid-season as a head coach and this was this is the first time it happened since greg roman was fired by rex ryan in early 2016 and Mm -hmm. replaced by Anthony Lynn. Um, so it has happened semi-recently. But when you fire a, a coordinator mid-season, a head coach, I mean, you're really putting the – you're turning a lot of attention on yourself. Um, uh, Sean McDermott, McDermott signed a contract extension, a hefty contract extension not too long ago. But, I mean, w- what if this keeps going sideways? What could happen with Sean McDermott? So as we sit here and talk, I don't believe that Sean McDermott's job is in jeopardy. Mm-hmm. But I think by firing Ken Dorsey, that was kind of the last card to play. Um, there's no one else he can kind of scapegoat, if mm-hmm. you will. Um, if you if if they fired a guy, even if some of the players were frustrated with with Ken Dorsey, and there were players that were frustrated with Ken Dorsey, they all liked him. And when you see someone you like get fired, that's tough, no matter what. So if they go out. And don't play well offensively um, against the Jets. And especially if they lose, then things might end up getting bad. I mean, because you, you carry that over the next week against the Eagles, you get blown out by the Eagles. And they don't get blown out. The Bills don't get blown out. I mean, mm-hmm. people are saying, asking if McDermott has lost the locker room. The defense played well for him, as well as they could play given the circumstances. Oh, yeah. Well enough to win for sure, obviously. Um. But if there's a scenario where they get blown out, then things could get bad, and you might know they've lost the locker room because it's been that Colts game in in 2021 is kind of the last regular season game they've been blown out in. Um, haven't lost a regular season game by more than six points since then. So that's kind of where he's at. Um, and, you know, there's, there's some issues there. Um, McDermott is what you see with him is what you get. This is not a Bill Belichick situation where he's this crotchety old man in front of their microphone. And then behind the scenes, he's got a sense of humor. Sean McDermott is, this is who he is. I, some of the players told me last year, cause I thought last year he did one of his best coaching jobs, just getting everybody through that whole ordeal of a season. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kind of asked, you know, is, is he different when it's just you guys? And the answer, by and large, was no. Um, <laughs> you know that it's it's hard it's hard to tell when he tells a joke because his sense of humor is just so dry and his facial expression doesn't change and things like that. Um, so I think 
the relationship between Sean McDermott and his players, Sean McDermott and his coaches, well, a chunk of his coaches, um, I think a lot of it is business. It's transactional. If if they're winning, they're good with them because they're winning. Because it's a job to all these people. If they're not, that's when things kind of go sideways. And you look at some of the stuff in the past, he's got some accountability issues. It's kind of a catch-22 in our business. It's like, yeah, why don't you say something for a change? But then when he does, it's like, oh boy. That that might not play well behind the scenes, whether it's it's tossing Dorsey under the bus, whether it was tossing off special teams coordinator Matt Smiley under the bus um, Monday for the 12-man on the field deal. Um, 13 seconds, you go back to that. He kind of he hasn't said it verbatim, but he kind of put the onus on um, Levi Wallace in that, you know, for, for giving up that, that, that play to set up a field goal. And then they fired the special teams coach. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and obviously Levi Wallace, if that's the way it was, he screwed up. I mean, it, it was a play a high school kid should make, um, or a decision a high school kid should make, but it's rough when a head coach kind of points that out you know, publicly. Um, and then obviously I think the, the rift between Dayball and, and Sean McDermott is kind of well, well known. Um, there's some meddling in there. I mean, cause you see some of the aggressiveness that they would have at times and then they get a lead and then all of a sudden it's throttled back and, you know, then they kind of get complacent and, um, it's hard to get that momentum back when you're trying to sit on a lead. When you stop, when you take your foot off the gas, it's hard to put it back on. Um, and it wouldn't be surprising at all um, if that was happening with Ken Dorsey as well, because they're, I mean, his defense was kind of, you know, with the injuries, struggling. Um, we want to keep them off the field as much as possible. Well, when you're, it, it's hard to sustain an eight to 10 minute drive every time out there. Right. And that's kind of what they were doing. Some of that's Dorsey uh, trying to, to scheme his way through every play. And some of it is McDermott's conservative nature. Um, I mean, the icy handshake after the, the Giants came, anybody who saw that, I think a lot of people did. Um, unusual. Unusual. For a guy who was there for so long and had so much success with him. Um, so I, I think... We're at a point now where I, I, McDermott's not in jeopardy, but um, it could get that way. I mean, who, who? there's nobody else left to fire. Um, you're not going to fire the interim Very offensive true. coordinator. He didn't have a defensive coordinator because Leslie Frazier left under his own will, and McDermott, instead of hiring someone, decided almost like this is, maybe we don't get another shot at this. I'm going to make sure it works myself. Um, cause you hire another defensive coordinator, it doesn't work out and you're a defensive, supposed to be a defensive guru. That's double, you know, it's, it's already, you already made a bad hire, but now you made a bad hire in your world. Mm-hmm. And uh, Frazier left, you know, Dable took some assistance for lateral moves with them. Um, Chad Hall, the receivers coach, beloved receivers coach left for Jacksonville to be a receivers coach, lateral move. So. There's some there's some warning signs there. Um, 
and and I think it was uh it was a move McDermott um I think eventually had to make but maybe didn't at the time um and and now it's it's a move that shows uh maybe some urgency or desperation in the situation wow so you were there today uh for an uncomfortable exchange with uh, uh Stefan Diggs can you kind of explain what happened? I mean, his brother had some tweets the other night that he needs to get out of Buffalo. I'm paraphrasing, but mm-hmm. uh, just explain the whole situation. You were there front and center. I think Diggs is, he kind of got frustrated. Um, he was being pressed pre- pretty good about um, the comments that his brother made. Mm-hmm. And essentially, he kind of, he didn't, a lot of people say he distanced himself. And and maybe maybe that's what he was trying to get at, um, but he never actually condemned those those tweets. It said I had nothing to do with that. Mm-hmm. Um, he basically said, um, "With family stuff, we'll handle it in house." But he said over and over again, "If you, you know, I don't know, you need to talk to him, his brother." And then he was asked again about his commitment to the bills. Um, you know, going back to all the stuff that happened over the summer. Um, and that's when he kind of become really frustrated. Just he's kind of, he feels tired of um, answering that question, I suppose. Um, but, you know, cause he, he's, he, he did the press conference um, at the start of training camp and then nothing really went on. And then, Later on, Stephen A. Smith on ESPN said that he wants out of Buffalo. And Diggs immediately clapped back on that and said that's not true. Um, and he's kind of tired of, of answering that. But again, he never said flat out. Like, to me, if I was really tired of answering something, I would have said nothing's changed yeah. since the last time you asked me. And you can keep asking me, and I'll tell you the same thing. But it kind of went off the rails a little bit. And, you know, I'm not, he's not me and I'm not him. So he can handle things differently. But um, the fact of the matter is he's not going anywhere. He's, he's over 30 um, and he's due 31, $32 million next year. I think Brandon Bean should probably be fired if he, if he trades away Stefan Diggs and that whoever takes him doesn't take all that money. Mm-hmm. Um. And then you look at it, no matter how good he is, who's going to trade for a plus 30-year-old you know, year old receiver with a plus $30 million cap hit? Um, so he's going to be here. <laughs> um, and I think he knows he's going to be here. Interesting. I wish I could have been there for that. I would have liked to have seen that. Um, I'm not going to tell... I'm not going to say he's lying. I don't... I mean... You don't know, but I find it hard. He said he didn't hadn't had a conversation with his brother. I don't know if I was upset with my brother for, you know, and he he did something like that, and I was upset about it. We'd have a conversation. Of course. I mean, at least, at least some some words would be exchanged, and like he said, he said he handled it in the house, so maybe, he, you know, he didn't want to detail that, but, eh, there was a conversation that was had one way or the other. I'm sure. Okay, so Sunday afternoon, the Jets come to Orchard Park. And again, I mean, this is a game, you know, not that long ago. Even though they lost to the Jets opening night, 
or Monday night uh, opening week, but this is a game not that long ago. You figured, well, I mean, the Jets, uh, whatever, at home, they got this game. But, I mean, there are no gimmies for the Bills, in my opinion, anymore. I mean, the Jets... Just defense is very good, right? But their offense is just putrid. But so they're—I mean—they're—they're they're kind of a—they're an odd team. Uh, they haven't scored an offensive touchdown in whatever two and a half games, whatever it is. Um. So, but it, it, we've seen—I mean—we saw with the Giants. I mean, if the Giants and—I mean, forget about the other, forget about let the Broncos game. I mean, the Giants and Patriots game should teach us that the—I mean—nothing is guaranteed for the Bills anymore. Just what do you make of this matchup? They have to win, not just for their playoff purposes. I mean, I think everybody knows the Bills have enough talent to run the table. Mm-hmm. Or I, I think they have to get, um, I think to feel safe, they have to get to 11 wins. That means 6-1. and one. Certainly, they have to go 5-2. and two. Uh, I don't think 9-8 and eight gets them in. Um, so they need to win because there aren't, uh, there aren't a whole lot more of these games left on their schedule. Right, this was the easy part, so to speak. Yeah, and and there, so there's, they've got they've got three games left with teams with losing records. Well, they've lost to two of them. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't lose to a Zach Wilson led offense at home, if you expect to be a playoff team, and you have Josh Allen on the other side of the field. You have to figure out how to score more points than the Jets. Mm-hmm. Um, I I think it's, like I said, if they don't win, it, I think it gets bad. Um, because where else do you go from there? I don't uh, know. I mean, that that would seem to be rock bottom if they lost this week. Yeah, I I said after they lost the Patriots that it was McDermott's worst loss, given all the circumstances. That offense, after that game, you know, the previous couple of weeks where they came out slow, and then it all happened again, and then they let Mac Jones lead them right down the field to score. Maybe maybe this would take the cake, no matter how good the Jets' defense is. You, you can't get swept by Zach Wilson at, at the way he's playing. No. And that Patriots loss, that Patriots loss looked bad when it happened. But it looks, to me, it looks even worse now a few weeks later. Right? No, yeah. I mean, but you, you kind of look at a lot of this stuff that's happened. Like, um, you know, they, they, they stumbled their way to the finish against the Buccaneers. Um, we're supposed to have a good defense, but then the following week they get shredded by the Texans. And then they go to the Bengals and only score 18 points. And then the Bengals get shredded by the Texans. And C.J. Stroud looks like he's a very good player, but he's not Josh Allen yet. So something's off there. I mean. Yeah, I can't figure, I can't figure out the Bengals. Uh, they're just, uh, we thought they had gotten over their rough start, but they've kind of fallen back. And, and, yeah, even that loss looks... To the Bengals, looks like a. I mean, you lose the Bengals, whatever. A Sunday night on the road, it's not the worst loss ever. But to me, it looks. I mean, it's a little worse than it was at the time. They only won fourteen to nine against the Giants. Yeah, and they were about to. They were about a yard away from losing too. So. I mean, and the Giants who just got absolutely hammered by the Cowboys. You know, granted, Tommy DeVito is the quarterback now. Um. The Syracuse graduate, not the Four Seasons singer. Um, I don't know any of the Four Seasons. You don't know who Frankie Valli is? Okay, I guess I do know one of the Four Seasons. Didn't you watch Jersey Boys? No, no, no. Bill, you need to get some culture in your life. No. No, you don't like musicals? I'm not... 
I'm not. I mean, I'm not adverse to them, but I don't. I don't really watch them. Mm. Phil, you gotta get some culture. But anyways, one of these days I will. There you go. Uh, it's Tommy, still... DeVito, uh, Tommy DeVito. Yes, Tommy DeVito, uh, former Syracuse quarterback, like Niagara coach Greg Paulus. Yes. Um, yeah, he's he's kind of he's had some epic outings so far. Right, right. I think he's he's had about as much success as you or I would have. Not really, but it feels that way. Um, Fourteen points to the Giants. Is, yeah. I know. I mean, looking back on it, they only gave up nine points, and yeah, they they went down right down the field and got to the one yard line with Tyrod Taylor, but still nine points. Even if they score a touchdown, fifteen points should get a win. Sixteen points should get a win. Um, they only scored fourteen. So this is, I mean, any chance at the playoffs hinges this week. I mean, they lose. If they can't beat the Jets, they can't beat the Broncos, can't beat the Patriots, how are they going to beat the Eagles and the Chiefs? I agree. I agree. And and that's kind of where they're at. So um, they desperately need to, to find something that works and build some momentum here. All right, Nick, good stuff. Are you going to make a prediction? Oh, that's right. We have to make predictions. Um, all right. Bills 2 nothing Forfeit? 2 nothing yeah. Uh, no, I, I, I'm thinking a big bounce-back game. I'm going to say 38-10. to 38-10. You're, you're optimistic, Bill. It's going to be a, a huge bounce-back. You're, you're not normally this optimistic of a man. No. Do you, you ever watch The Coach or Coach? The sitcom? Craig T. Nelson? Uh, actually, I remember it very well, but I never watched it. With, uh, who, uh, Van Dyke. It's not... I Jer- forget. Jerry Van Dyke? Is it Jerry Van Dyke? Yes, it's Jerry Van Dyke. A little Jerry Van Dyke trivia. When my parents went to a taping of David Letterman, Jerry Van Dyke was the guest. Well, it's... Uh, one of the guests. In one of the later seasons where they become... They become coaches for a pro team. The Orlando Breakers. Yes. Uh, they go to Buffalo and they get poisoned by, by chicken wings oh. before a playoff game. I must have missed that episode. I think that was the final season, maybe. It was one it, it was one of the last ones. Luther Luther is an all time television character. Um, you know, co- uh, once I think it was nineteen ninety, there was a coach promo during a Bills Monday night football game and they made they like ripped Buffalo and like people went nuts. It was really bad. So what you're telling me is not a whole lot has changed in 33 years? Not really, but people were upset. I mean, I, Channel 7 was uh, you know, took took umbrage with it and they were uh, it was it was bad. There's nothing nothing anyone can do to change my mind on, on Luther being an all-time character. But maybe maybe that's where the Maybe that's where the Bills need to bank on somebody poisoning the Jets beforehand. No, nobody should actually do that, though. I think they're not encouraging it, but um, I'll say twenty-four sixteen. All right, twenty-four six. A one-score game. I think they got to prove that they can win before I can. I can pick them to win by double digits. Or twenty-eight points like me. Or twenty-eight points like you. <laughs> you're right. you're. You're living dangerously there, Bill. I know. You still haven't picked them to lose yet this season, I don't believe. It's like Chris Berman picking the Bills and the 49ers for the Super Bowl every year. You're going to pick them if they lose every game? Maybe. 
It'll be Owen 16, and you're going to pick them in, in, or Owen 17 now, sorry. And you're going to pick them that last week, no matter who they're playing against. Yeah, for sure. Why not? Look at you, you, you loyal man. Hey, I just, I feel it's the right thing to do. All right. Okay, Bill. We'll go from one one Buffalo disaster to another right now. It's just a it's just a brutal time to be a Sabres fan, um, a Buffalo sports fan. Um, not only do uh, do the Sabres get thumped on on Saturday, you were there in Pittsburgh, uh, not at the game. You were you were looking for some steel. <laughs> sure. Um, eating your Taco Bell. Um, that was uh, that was more eerie. Oh, okay, okay. I stopped in Erie uh, on my way to Cincinnati, though. Did you? Yeah, it's a good place to stop. Yeah, it's the perfect stopping place. Yeah, um, but they followed that that performance up with another clunker, and I think that's uh, that's putting it kindly against the Boston Bruins, uh, down five nothing at, at one point, if I recall, and then they compounded it by by Tage Thompson getting injured. Um, and from, you know, it's hockey, so they don't, uh, they don't clue you in very much. You, you know, it's a, a wrist injury cause that's where he got hit. Yeah. Wrist or hand. See, you don't even know which one, um, left, left. There you go. No, but I, you don't know which, oh, I, wrist or hand. It's, pro- it's, it's, it's probably his wrist, but I mean, it could be, his, I mean, who, who knows, but, uh, yeah. Upper body. Yeah. Technically. Yeah. And, and instead of a. You know, like a six to eight weeks kind of deal. He's going to be out for a while. Yeah. Uh, officially, he's week to week, but they said less than two months. So to, to me, that tells me four to six weeks. I don't think they like putting timelines on things, uh, obviously. Um, so I would I would assume from what we've heard, four to six weeks. Is that and, the Canadian conversion rate? Is that why? Sh- sure. So <laughs> you want to you don't want to screw things up between Canada and America. So you gotta you just go call it four to six weeks. Um, but uh, if I, I mean, who knows how he's who knows how he's going to heal? But if I know Tage Thompson, it'll be on the on the uh, closer side of that. So um, this is I mean, this is a the Sabers have good depth down the middle, but this is a huge loss. I mean, Tage Thompson. He was getting going. Uh, this guy had 47 goals, 94 points last year. Was selected to the All-Star game. He's one of the league's elite scorers. And he hadn't had a really, really fast start, but he, he was looking more like himself. I mean, he's he's one of their catalysts, if not their main catalyst. And you can't replace a guy like that. But, I mean, they have Dylan Cousins, who moved into that uh, spot today between Alex Tuck and Jeff Skinner. They have Casey Middlestad, who has quietly been one of the NHL's better scorers since last March. Um, he's had a very good. He's had a good start this year. He's had a very good run uh, since he's kind of stuck at center. So I mean, they do have guys that can pick up the slack. So this isn't as huge as this is. It's not. It's not the end of the world. They can get through this for for a month. I don't. I don't know that anyone would feel comfortable with with losing him um, in the lineup. But it also comes at a time when they're not really playing that well with him. Um, and, and you know, for a team looking to make the playoffs, I believe they're under five hundred at this point now. Um, Seven, eight, one, yes. So you know they they don't ha- and they don't they're losing their best player or or they're at least their best forward. Um, 
that's that's doesn't seem for if you lose a guy for two months um that doesn't seem to bode well for your playoff odds no i don't that said i i think they could get through this it's not i mean it's obviously going to be very very difficult and this is a team that, that has scored two goals in two games i mean two garbage goals in two games and they and, and they're not they're not really clicking on the power play and he's kind of the focal point of it Right. I mean, he's from that left circle. He's, I mean, he's one of the league's most lethal presences in the power play. And the power play just hasn't gotten going this year. I don't, it's the same personnel as last year, almost to a man. Um, I don't know if they really tinkered with anything, with anything. They just can't, for whatever reason, I mean, their zone entries are poor. They just, uh, they just they need to simplify things. I mean, that's always what you hear when when the power play struggles, simplify whatever. But it's it, Sean McDermott asking them to sit on the puck, basically. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I think they do need to simplify. And uh, I mean, there's just too much talent there for them to not uh, to, to not get some production out of them. I mean, it's not even it's it's not even like it's middle of the pack power play. It's one of the league's worst, and they just. It's one of those things you think, okay, after a couple of weeks, it'll get going, it'll get going. Now here we are over a month in the season now, and it hasn't gotten going. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it could be tough sledding for the next month. But if these guys, if, K- if Casey Middlesat, Dylan Cousins, a lot of the guys, they want more. They embrace more. They they like uh, the responsibility. Uh, I mean, they... This could, I mean, this could be good for them just to be get more situations, play with different players, and and just have more on their shoulders because I think they they thrive in those kind of things. So, is is Rasmus Dahlin going to move to forward for this this uh, this stretch here? That would be that would be interesting though, wouldn't it, to see him at forward just for the hell of it? Maybe, but you know, you know, some guy out there is. Uh... Because that was a narrative before. That was under, and I think when Kruger was was the coach, is that maybe they should move him to forward. You know, Phil Housley uh, was played center for a little bit early in his career under Scotty Bowman. Uh, I think Rasmus Dahlin is pretty entrenched as a defenseman. Yes, although sometimes you'll see guys moved. I think didn't Sergei Fedorov play defense at one time for I a little bit? Yeah, but I think it's a it's a little easier move to go back than up. It's different, and I I don't know that he was was he all like a legitimate defenseman or was he a power play defenseman? No, I think he played defense. I mean this I this might be for chunks of games. This might be for like a week, uh, a game here that I don't remember. I, but I'm pretty sure he played defense. Um, it's uh, I remember Lindy Ruff practicing having Jason Pominville practice at defense. For, I recall that, yeah. But um, <laughs> you have to have you have to have experience playing defense to go back there at some point, and I it's think a different beast. Yes, it's it's completely and you know the the whole uh, you're growing up. A lot of times, the the fastest guy on the ice gets put at defense just because he can he can prevent breakaways just by being fast. So there's some experience there for a lot of forwards. Um, but you know w- with this offense here. They're going to get Alex Tuck back. Um, you know, Victor Olofsson has continued to struggle. Um, how do they get it back on track here? That's a good question. Well, Victor Olofsson, he, he got the hope is he's, he got those two late goals. And I know they're, they're, 
whatever. Their goal's five nothing. They're down five nothing. But the hope is uh, obviously is that those can get him going because I mean he's a streaky scorer like a lot of scores, and he's the kind of guy that could rattle off seven in the next ten games or or five in the next couple. Of, I mean he's he's just that kind of score. So uh, maybe that's a good sign. I mean he he just he hasn't done much this year. You haven't noticed him a lot in games. But, I mean, he's kind of an X factor in this. If he just gets going a little bit, he'll make a huge difference. As far as the offense goes, it, it, as a whole, it, it, it's the power plays really, really hurt them, obviously. Uh, I, I think Don Granado's explained it, and I, I don't take this as an excuse at all, is that they, they've basically, the offense is good, was good last year. So they they've started addressing other things in their game, uh, just say you know just defense and, and and things like that, things that they have to work on and improve to get to the next level. And I think there's been so much of a focus on that that they've kind of lost what they were good at. So, it's like telling Josh Allen not to run. Yeah, I mean it's just it's the same kind of. I mean you, you focus you you focus on other areas and you you. you you kind of lose what made you good, so I think that's I think that's been a big thing, and I, I think another thing is that they've just been out of sync. I mean, guys have explained it a little bit that they're just they just don't seem to be on the same page like they were last year, and I'm not sure why, um, because there's been so much continuity. A lot of the same guys are playing together. A lot of these guys have played together, if even if they ha- haven't been regular line mates, they've played together before. Um, I mean, it's still kind of early in the season, but it's not that early. So at some point you expect it to, them to break out. And they've had games here and there, but they just haven't had that sustained uh, run of offense, sustained run of games that you they were They haven't won a 7-3 game yet. No, they haven't. I mean, they've won some, whatever, they beat Colorado 4 nothing, and they've. I mean, they have some, had some nice games. The least game was high scoring. 6-4. to four. Yes, that was, that, was, that was one of their better games. But it's it's been a it's been such a weird start. They're seven eight one seven eight and one. They're in the thick of it. They've lost two in a row. Uh, but they were six three and one before that. But it, it just it just didn't feel like six three and one because they were there were just some losses in there that they just didn't feel good. They couldn't string together wins either. Right. I mean, as we've talked about, I mean, you you gotta rattle off win. You gotta win four in a row. You gotta win uh, th- three out of. You gotta go three one on one. You gotta go. Four and one on one. You you have to put eighty two and zero. Yes, yes. I went some video game uh, factoid for you. I went eighty two and zero in NHL ninety five. Is it the last time you played a video game? Yeah, I think it was. <laughs> um, Sega, but, Sega Genesis eighty two and zero NHL ninety five. Okay. There you go. So Olafson, he's kind of pegged in the lineup for a while now. Here, yeah. I mean, Byro's back in Rochester. Matt Savoy uh, was sent back to juniors. What after one game? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, they got Rusek in the lineup still. Um, Zach Benson is due back, but there aren't a whole lot of options to take him in and out of the lineup if he doesn't play well. No, uh, they just as much as the Sabers have built up depth, depth that they have four intriguing lines that they have guys in the minors. They're still they're still kind of a guy short in the NHL. And early in the year, I thought Zach Benson was going to fill that role, and uh, he 
you know, he started looking like he was 18 a little bit, started looking like a rookie, and then he got hurt, and, you know, they've had other guys in and out, and Victor Olofsson's been in and out, but, I mean, um, now he might get a chance to stay in there for a little bit. I mean, he if he gets going, I mean, he can, as we've said, he can do some really good things on the power play. Even even strength last year, he did some some good things, and he had 28 goals, but he just, as a whole, you watch him, he just... He, if he's not scoring, he's not doing much of anything, it seems like. He's not hard enough to play against. And I think I, I brought up last show, uh, he came back in, in in Toronto a couple weeks ago, and he just, he won a puck battle along the wall, and he drew a penalty from it. And you just, that, he needs to be tough to play against. He needs to do that more often. And, I mean, that'll create so many things for him. That'll That'll get him more opportunities, too. Is when Benson? What does Benson have? Seven more games left? Six more games left? Well, he's played six. He can play three more. Okay. Um, is he here to stay? Do you think? Uh, these in the very beginning of the year. Well, has, has the Thompson injury forced their hand? I, I'm not sure because they have options on the uh, in Rochester. They could always turn to. I think Don Granado said it today. These next three games are going to decide his future i i think they say they haven't made up their mind and i I, th- I think they want to get i think they want to use up their allotment of games before his contract kicks in i, I think they want to see you know he, he's been off a couple weeks now i think and he's still traveled with the team they wanted him to just immerse himself in the nhl and get used to things i i think he tried to study the game from the press box i just i think they want to see how we responded or what he learned from, you know, just taking a step back and, and see how he applies that on the ice. Um, I don't. I'm if I'm not sure if he'll stay. Um, he he. He's, I think they're open minded to it. Right now, I'd probably lean toward no, just because he's 18. Um, he they have other options that might be better. Uh, just there, there, there's so many factors in it. But I think they just want to give him a little more time and see what he has. If he stayed, I wouldn't be shocked, though, either. Now, this is something that you've gone back and forth on. They didn't need nine games to decide Matt Savoy's future. He went back after one. Um, what did they see or not see that it was that they were able to make that decision so quickly? Well, I was first, I was surprised that Matt Savoy not just played one game, but played one game and played three minutes and 55 seconds over whatever, five or six shifts. So I thought they were going to give him a longer look. But I think they they had their mind made up that they wanted him to get a look, but that was about it. And in that within that game against Minnesota on Friday, a tight 3-2 to two game, Don Granato just didn't feel comfortable putting him in those difficult situations in a tight game. I mean, he gave up the puck a couple times. Uh, it just... He he didn't want to do it. I mean, he he knew if Matt Savoy made a mistake that it was just gonna. I mean, it was gonna be all over. I, it wasn't. I mean, would have really really hurt his confidence. And I think he thought it was. He he thought it was just better, just giving him that little taste and sitting him on the bench. I mean, he set the whole third period. But if if you go if you go back, the, the Sabers, Matt Savoy missed all the training camp. He was he got hurt in the prospects challenge. And training camp for a player like him is huge. I mean, he would have played probably at least four or five maybe more exhibition games that would have been big for his development and he missed all that and then he recovered 
Uh, he was practicing with the Sabres. They got him to Rochester, and he did well there. I mean, obviously that's the ideal spot for him, but he's not el- eligible to play there. And then the Sabres started thinking, well, if there's injuries, if there's an opportunity, we'll get him a game. And they got him the game, and that was enough, and they sent him back. So I think they were they were set on just you know giving him that small taste and then getting him back to Wanachi. Um, Byro played well when he first came up, and then obviously he got hurt. Um, why did they feel like it was time to send him back, keep uh, Rusek, and 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 send Byro back to Rochester? Uh, numbers, and I think Don, Don Granado seems to really trust uh, Lukas Rusek. Just uh, he's utilized him in late games, tight games. Um, he raves about just his situational awareness and how he knows what to do in, in difficult situations and in close games. So I think they see him as a guy they they can use as an asset late in games. And you can't say that about a lot of rookies who have played whatever, five, six NHL games. So I think that gives him an edge to Byro right now. You know what this means with all these injuries? What? On the forward lines. Oh boy, here it comes. They need to call Edmonton about Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. Oh, okay. No, um, people want to. People want to. People think the Bills have it bad with Josh Allen, a superstar, and the team not playing well. Holy moly, the Oilers. Yeah, they've been. Uh, they've massively under. I mean, they were a very chic Stanley Cup pick. I mean, just because of the year they had last year, those guys really hitting their prime and and so many things, and they've just fallen apart. It, and it costs Jay Woodcroft his job. It's hard to believe that, I mean, the Oilers fired their coach. They already fired another coach. Games in. But, the, I mean, the start was that bad. It, it's Well, TSN was TSN was sounding the warning signals after four games. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's how much pressure there is in those markets where, those Canadian markets where, I mean, if you have a bad week, I mean, it'll, it'll start. It was... But, I mean, the Oilers are, it almost feels like Stanley Cup or bust for them. And it certainly seems like they're not going to do it this year. But, I mean, that they've reached that level where they have the greatest player in the game. And Dry's Idol, who's very quietly close to the greatest player in the game, too, if, if not almost, you know, almost on par. And they haven't been able to do anything with it. And then last year they made strides and they've fallen apart. For the record, I don't think there is. I don't know if there's any value, American or Canadian, that could get the Oilers to part with either of those two players. No, I mean, they're not going anywhere. <laughs> um, unless they wanna, they wanna make a Wayne Gretzky type deal, but I don't think those deals happen nowadays. No, they're not gonna. I don't think they're gonna sell off Connor McDavid. But that being said, Patrick Kane. Oh boy, I knew it was coming. I was just, I was bracing for it. Well, it's starting to get a little more real now. He He's talking to other teams. If it was going to happen, and you're a big if on that, um, and as am I, I, does Tage Thompson's injury and the way that they're playing now pretty much push him in a different direction? Because you have to imagine he wants to play for a contender. Yeah, I mean, uh, that that's, that's one of the things that's lost in this. I mean, just because Patrick Kane's from Buffalo doesn't mean he wants to play for the Sabres. I mean, I mean, I don't know his true feelings, but I mean, just because, I mean, if, if he comes here, there's going to be so much pressure on spot and spotlight on him. 
I mean, I just don't think it's it's worth it. I and think e- even more at this point, without Thompson and the team's yeah, not I mean, playing I mean, well, yeah, he's going to be expected not, to be the savior. And he's not the same guy, especially no. coming off a an injury like an injury like that. Whatever. In a surgery, his, that, an unproven surgery. Yeah, he had his whatever hip uh, resurfaced, which is, I mean, when you're whatever thirty four years old and you're having your hip resurfaced. And yeah, he. I mean, he's not. It's, it, it wouldn't be like he was joining. Uh, an ensemble that's in first place. I mean, he he would be joining a, a team that uh, is fighting for a playoff spot, their first playoff spot in twelve years, and is 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 down one of their top scores. So, I mean, again, I don't think it's going to happen. I mean, there's you, there's all these ridiculous rumors on the internet, but uh, I don't. I still don't think it's going to happen. All right, Bill, you party pooper. I'm sorry. This is the way I feel. Well. I think it's it's probably fair. Yeah, thirty five, and wouldn't it wouldn't there be some irony there in uh, them deciding to to roll the dice on on Kane after that surgery, but not willing to do so with not willing to play ball with Jack Eichel on his surgery. Well, I mean, that's a little different. I think that uh, a, a neck, a hip. I mean, totally different in my opinion. I mean, whatever. <laughs> Jack Eichel, uh, he had his, he ended up getting his surgery. He's gone on to good things with the Vegas Golden Knights. Um, he will not be, um, he will not be working for ESPN in his spare time. We know that. Yes, I, I you, you've railed on his interview during the Raiders game. I'm still annoyed by it. Well, as you, I mean, I can't blame you for being annoyed. <laughs> so, Bill, um, what 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 are you looking for from the Sabers during during the next stretch here? They got a a, a quick road trip, um, weird weird road trip. But. Yes, Winnipeg, Chicago, Washington. I just, I mean, you look for them to win two out of three or get four points somehow. I mean, they're they're not playing uh, the greatest teams. I mean, those are very uh, winnable games. Games uh, teams they I think they have more talent than and. I think Eric Comrie is going to start against the Jets. I mean, he played well against them last year. That's a special game for him. Uh, he's coming back from that injury that sidelined him a couple of weeks, a few weeks. So Eric Comrie should be in goal. I think they'll go back to the goalie rotation after that. Um, I mean, these are these games are just as meaningful now as they will be in April and Mar- March and April. So, I mean, they got to make some hay here, and uh, this is as good a stretch as any. Are they flying commercial? Because that's the that's the way it seems with that 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 schedule there. They are not flying commercial. They've had charters for about thirty years, as far as I know. Winnipeg to Winnipeg to Chicago to Washington. That's a that's that's quite a quite a setup. Yeah, I don't I don't I don't get it. I really don't. But uh, I mean, honestly, the Sabers they have as I think I've said they have just the easiest or not the easiest, but uh, they have a very uh, convenient travel schedule where they it's like they zip out for one game in the east, they come back, and you know, they're in their beds by uh, uh, one o'clock in the morning or even earlier. So, I mean, they have it a lot easier than other teams. So, a three game trip like that, I think it's they seem to be looking forward to it, just an opportunity to bond and become more of a team than they are. And I think it'll be good for them. All right, Bill, any weekend plans? Uh, watch the Sabres twice and watch the bills and i don't know are you uh are you preparing for thanksgiving are you 
No. Are you not resting up? No. I won't be doing any cooking. I won't be doing anything other than. You won't be. You're not gonna. You're not gonna rest up for the the eating part. Oh yeah, maybe you got to get your stomach in shape. But don't they say it's actually good to have a little, not just starve yourself, just have like a little meal if you want to eat big? Don't they say that? I guess, but I, I think that that doesn't apply like five days in advance. Oh, all right. Well, I'll, I'll pace myself. Okay. Only Taco Bell every other day. There you go. So, all right, Nick. Episode eleven in the books. Thank you for joining us. If you'd like to give us a review or tell a friend, please do. And if you'd like to email us at buffalopressbox at gmail.com and share your uh, your uh, Thanksgiving recipes uh, for stuffing or uh, your special gravy or, or whatever, or ask us something, something you want us to discuss, we'll, uh, we'll try to get to it. Or I shouldn't say try, we will get to it. So... Uh, Give us an email, buffalopressbox at gmail.com. You got anything to add, Nick? Well, apologize that we're a couple of days late here. We had some some technical difficulties, but we've we've figured them out. Mm-hmm. For you, the listener. So thank, It's all for you. Thank, thank you, Nick, for taking care of that. And uh, we will catch you soon.